The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. I want to give a special shout out to all of our tweets out there who have been following the lead up to this show on Twitter, both from Otis Raleigh's Twitter fans and mine and Voice America's Twitter fans. You guys are awesome. Keep your tweet feeds coming. I'm watching them as we do the show. I am so excited to kick off another year of Go Green Radio. Uh, we started back in 2008, and we are still going strong. And it's thanks to fans like you who keep listening every week and keep feeding us all of your great ideas for guests. This week's guest has really got me excited because, as many of you know, as much as I love everything green, I also like to get involved in politics a little bit, and we're getting a chance to talk to someone who is kind of brand new to the game in many respects. Otis Raleigh has been the city planner, amongst other things, and we're going to talk about his resume, for the city of Baltimore, major metropolitan area in the United States. In fact, he was one of the, the youngest major urban city planners in the U.S. when he was tapped to be the city planner for Baltimore back when he was 29. He's now running for the mayor of Baltimore. This is his first foray into politics, and he's running uh, for the top spot in Baltimore, and we're getting a chance to talk to him right out of the chute. We're very excited to let you know that Bill Cosby, I'm such a huge fan of Bill Cosby, he's doing a kickoff uh, event for Otis uh, January 11th in Baltimore. There's more information about that on Otis's website and on his Facebook page. We'll give you the information on how to learn about that in just a few moments. But, uh, Otis, welcome to Go Green Radio. We're so glad to have you. Oh, thanks so much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, you know, over the course of the past year especially, on Go Green Radio, we've spent a number of episodes talking about this phenomenon of global urbanization and the environmental impact of that trend. And at one point, you were, as I mentioned, the youngest city planner for a large urban area in the U.S. And at that time, you hadn't been out of college all that long by the time you were appointed to that post. When you were at school at MIT and Princeton, what were you taught about the environmental impact of the Earth's population shifting to urban settings? Well, um, first of all, it's, uh, once again, just, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be on the show. I, I learned a lot at, uh, at, at both MIT and um, in, in Rutgers in terms of, in terms of my uh, undergrad work around uh, the roles that cities play um, in, um, in really um, and, and really affecting uh, the the environment and and really being um, a part of of what it means to uh, to to be healthy to be to be green um, that um, that populations shifting and moving to um, the urban core uh, the vast majority of the population particularly in um, both in the United States 
uh, most of the population being within our metropolitan areas, um, really that, that what that means is that those areas need to be as sustainable as possible, that they need to be um, um, as, as healthy as possible, and that we have to figure out how do we build an environment there um, and protect the environment there in a way that will make sure that it, it, um, it, it does not hurt uh, our future. Right, and I know, you know, we've talked about things like urban heat island effect and uh, green roofs and, you know, things like that. Um, what kind of environmental impact are you seeing in Baltimore? What are your toughest environmental challenges there? Well, I think one of our, our toughest um, environmental challenges has been around our, um, around our water, uh, the quality in, our, in the harbor in Baltimore is a port city. Um, it's, it is obviously I'm biased, but I think it's you know it's the greatest city in the in the country. Um, but as with any kind of post-industrial city, there were there were um, there are um, leftover um, remnants of of some of that industry um, as it relates to uh, the land quality around the water um, and the the quality of the water itself. Um, and and so that's been um, um, an issue that we've been challenged with and that we've been uh, trying to deal with. Um, in partnership, obviously, with the state and, and the federal government. Um, another piece on the environmental front is just uh, some of the issues around kind of environmental uh, justice issues, environmental uh, racism um, that sometimes uh, has occurred in some of the uh, center city areas in which they've been uh, dumping um, uh, in our inner city in a way that, that has negatively affected uh, some of the low-income communities within our, uh, within our city. And so we've been uh, trying to address that and thinking through ways of uh, doing a better job in enforcement and um, to make sure, regardless of the the income of the individuals, that we all have um, we all, we all should have the same um, access to to high quality um, places to live. Absolutely, and I think a lot of people, regardless of where they live. I mean, we even have listeners out of the U.S. Um, We've, we've had listeners in China and other time zones, you know, around the world. I think, you know, that's something everyone would agree with. And yet, sometimes the hardest part is moving that sentiment into public policy. And you've had an incredible opportunity to advise on public policy as a subject matter expert in city planning um, and now moving into the actual policy setting where you get to take a vote and enact those plans. I think that's really really exciting. How do you feel voters will respond to that kind of a resume? Well, you know, I I think we are getting to a place um, as a country um, uh, and obviously more directly as as the city the city of Baltimore, we're all getting to a place where the politics as usual is not acceptable. Uh, pe- there's a level of frustration, I think, with a lot of people uh, with, the, with the status quo and, and the gamemanship that has occurred um, because it really hinders progress. Um, and uh, there, uh, there's a saying that, you know, we've kind of run out of money and so now we have to start to think. Um, and, and, and I think the, while the recession, the Great Recession that has hit, you know, obviously not just Baltimore but the, the world, um, has, has been challenging, but it's also caused us to wake up and to, to be um, a much more inter, introspective and, and to think, okay, well, what, what do we need as a city? Um, what, this, what return on investment are we going to get in, this invest, in um, make, allocating our resources this way or that way? What, do we, what should we expect in terms of our leadership? Um, and, you know, a, kind of a, a Ph.D. in politics 
um, doesn't necessarily translate to a healthy understanding of what it means to invest in your people, in your community, um, and in your businesses in a way that's going to have long-term positive effects for, uh, for the health of a city. Um, and so the reason, part of the reason why I'm running and part of the reason why I think the timing is so right is because there are a lot of people I, um, in Baltimore who have, are starting to raise their level of expectation um, of what they want in terms of leadership. And um, there are, I know in the past have been, you know, there have been smart people and qualified people, um, people with a plan that have, have not won when they have run for office um, but I, I really do feel there is a momentum in Baltimore right now um, and that there is a, um, just a, a spirit and a buzz right now where people say, okay, what, do you, what is your plan of action? What is your vision for the city? You know, how, do you, how are you going to help us to, to get jobs, to be safe, to raise families, and, uh, and to make, make money um, in a way that, that you know, I can be healthy, to educate our kids? Don't just talk in platitudes um, any longer. And so my background in planning and in implementation um, provides, I think, an opportunity for the citizens to vote for someone um, who gets it um, in a very, in a very real way, and and that's why I think I think um, right now we're we're in a position to, uh, to to make that shift, kind of from from politics uh, to a professional. Well, and I think what you articulate is so true of of voters across the country. We've almost had kind of a resurgence of civic engagement where yes. people are saying, "Look, this this whole." political thing is funded by my taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. And they're asking a perfectly legitimate question. What's in it for me? And what's in it for my kids? And one of the things that I believe voters are starting to expect is a healthier and and a sustainable um, community alongside this, you know, economic focus and and this focus on getting us out of rece- out of a recession. You know, I watched a YouTube video of a speech that you gave that I would highly recommend. Um, in fact, you ought to link it to your Otis Raleigh for Mayor website because it's really really good. Um, if you haven't already, you may have. But it's a TEDx Mid Atlantic speech that you gave, and you are mm-hmm. a great public speaker. And I liked so many of the things that you said. But one of the things that really struck a chord with me was when you showed pictures of vacant buildings in Baltimore. And you said, the answer is not to tear these buildings down and start over. Um, we had a guest on Go Green Radio a while back called Peter Yost. He mm-hmm. actually wrote, uh, helped to write the U.S. Green Building Council's lead standards for homes. Um, and I think he would agree with you. In his mind, a sustainable structure is not just one that's energy efficient and all of that, but it's sustainable in that it's built to last for generations. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, if you're elected mayor, I mean, do you foresee a way to bring more lead standards for existing buildings into part of your urban revitalization efforts? Yeah, well, most definitely. I mean, the city currently has um, requirements uh, as it relates to development um, um, uh, on, you know, with lead standards. But I think the real issue there from a public policy perspective is creating an environment, a healthy environment um, within the city that is attractive uh, to development, um, but attractive in a way, and, um, in a way where they understand that this is the way we do business in Baltimore. Um, that there's a, a acceptable level um, of, of development that's going to occur here, and, and that level is always going to be at the highest standard. Um, and that sustainable sustainable development is not tearing down. Uh, that to be green, you know, some of the greenest buildings are the oldest buildings um, mm-hmm. because they're there already. <laughs> Absolutely. Know, um, and, and and so that we we have an opportunity to kind of reinvest in those in those buildings in a smart way um, and 
and so I think yeah, the lead standards, obviously, they're important, and they, they kind of set um, uh, the bar in terms of what you're supposed to do. But it is also creating a business climate um, as it relates to development, real estate development, that is transparent um, and that is clear so that people – um, when they're thinking about investing, that Baltimore is that much more attractive because while there's always going to be risk involved in any kind of development, the more transparent it is and more predictable it is in terms of the process um, and um, the the process and policies around that development make it that much more attractive. And I think we can we can do that here in Baltimore uh, in a much better way. Well, and you know, you have some architecture in Baltimore that is historic and beautiful. And Some of the best in the country. It is. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. And if you can, you know, and, and lead standards are just one of many, you That's know, right. green building standards that are out there. But if you can say, look, we're going to preserve this beautiful architecture and, oh, by the way, make these buildings energy efficient, make these buildings, you know, with good indoor air quality, healthy green buildings, I mean, that would be, uh, I think, a standard bearer for many communities to replicate. And, and that's what we hope to do. That's well, you know, sustainable communities is such an in vogue term these days, but the definition seems to kind of shift from region <laughs> to region. What does that mean to you? I mean, if you were going to say, if I'm elected mayor, you know, Baltimore will be a sustainable community, what would that look like? Give us a snapshot of what Baltimore would look like as a sustainable community. And, and you're right. Sometimes and, uh, the word gets a little bit overused. Um, and then in parts of, you know, part of, parts of Baltimore, there, there would be a big question mark. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? Um, and, and so the, the, for me, um, setting the bar high, uh, that Baltimore, you know, will be, will be a healthy, um, healthy city. Um, it, 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 the way you define that is through so many different um, um, so so many different matrices of, of how you measure it um, and how you define it. For for me, um, for Baltimore, what that would mean is number one, a, a true concerted um, effort to kind of invest in in our people. Um, the people of the city of Baltimore is what you know is what makes it makes it a great place uh, to live and to and to work and to play and to worship. Um, and so I think it, it is part of the responsibility of the leadership of the city to to have a clear plan of action for investing in those uh, individuals. Um, and uh, and for you to be healthy, that means longevity. And for you to have um, um, a longevity that where you are healthy, where you're living a long life and you're you're happy and strong. Um, uh, that that's an investment in public health strategy for the city of Baltimore um, around any of the uh, various issues um, that uh, affect your your health. It's a, an investment in our parks and our schools so that you are educated um, and that you can recreate um, in in a good way. It's it's investing in our communities um, in a very smart way as it relates to uh, your ability to walk around and to bicycle around and feeling safe in doing that. Uh, you know, if you if you feel that you can walk two blocks to the store and that you don't have to jump in your car. It's not just about whether you're being lazy or not. It's about whether it's well lit, uh, whether it's, it's attractive, whether you feel safe. And I think those are parts of, of um, a role that your government can play to help to ensure that those things occur. But I think sustainability is also being able to, um, and sustainability and health, 
um, uh, is really also about being able to eat um, and not just eat in the traditional sense of um, access to, to good quality foods. Um, um, and so it, uh, in terms of investing in urban gardens and making sure that you have um, good grocery stores throughout the, the city of Baltimore, but also being able to eat mean being able to work <laughs> to, you know, earn, those, earn, yeah. Yeah, to, to earn um uh, and and to and if you're a healthy city, you're going to have a healthy amount of jobs and opportunities for your citizens, so that they can so that they can eat well and live well. Um, Otis, I so, love your holistic approach. We've uh, got to take a quick break, but we're going to be sorry. back with more. And I really want to explore this this holistic approach to sustainable communities more with Otis Raleigh. So, folks, don't go away. We've got lots more Go Green Radio right after this. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today we're talking with Otis Raleigh. He is the former city planner for the city of Baltimore. He laid out 
an amazing strategy to create uh, a vibrant Baltimore, and now he's in a position where he may be able to actually enact that plan. He's running for the mayor of Baltimore. His first uh, launch into public life is uh, in this position, and we're talking with him about some of the things that he might do to create uh, an emerald city, if you will, a green city um, that's sustainable in a holistic way. Uh, as the city of Baltimore progresses and, and, and creates jobs, how they might be able to do that in a way that's also environmentally responsible and clean and green and healthy for its citizenry. Otis, there are a lot of U.S. mayors out there who have done a variety of things in terms of green initiatives. Are there any that you see as sort of role models who have instituted programs that if you were elected mayor of Baltimore, you might be interested in bringing some of those same ideas to the city of Baltimore? Well, um, you know, it's, it is, uh, uh, I think part of being really good at anything is not just innovation, but also the common sense to know where to copy from. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, because you can waste a lot of time and resources, um, trying to re- reinvent the wheel. And, um, and so I've been, you know, I'm really impressed with, um, with some of our stronger, stronger environmentally smart cities, um, and, um, and I, see them as environmentally smart um, because it is not just a, kind of a pigeonholed uh, view of what it means to be um, environmentally uh, secure and healthy. Um, and so Chicago, for me, um, I feel like has, has made a lot, of, um, a lot of smart decisions as it relates to um, its parks and open space um, and really getting it and trying to be green in, um, in terms of municipal investment. Um, uh, as well as in- encouraging it on the on the private side, um, I've uh, obviously the the benchmark uh, like Portland, um, and uh, with some of my background on the um, public transportation side, I see you know just huge assets of um, of investing in um, in public transportation in a very smart way, a very rational way, where you're reducing the dependency on on cars um, and you're increasing. Uh, your um, your level of uh, pedestrian traffic and bicycle traffic, um, which also helps on in terms of the public health piece, and then New York has really been getting it. Um, particularly, their DOT has been really uh, smart in terms of investing in and in having a long term kind of bike, uh, bike and pedestrian um, kind of rational planning where people said it couldn't be done. Um, and and I love when you know people say it can't it it can't be done because the people who say that are ninety nine percent of the time wrong, um, <laughs> and we've been and, and there are great examples there um, in terms of the the innovation that their uh, Department of Transportation has done to in, invest in um, in some of the more dense areas where they said you you know we have to uh, we really have to. Um, submit to the car um, because otherwise, you know, things won't be able to to happen here. And they they buck the system, and and they have seen a net a very positive net result from uh, from investing in people um, instead of cars. Well, and you know, we've also had on Go Green Radio um, members of a nonprofit organization called Grow NYC. That's a nonprofit organization that's been affiliated with the mayor's office 
for 40 years. I mean, through a variety of administrations, they've been there doing things like setting up urban gardens and setting up uh, farmers markets and helping to um, create uh, you know all kinds of opportunities for the people of New York City, both the ones that were there and ones that are immigrating to New York City to have um, good, healthy food, you know, community gathering spots that are safe and clean and beautiful in terms of the gardens. Um, they've done some really amazing things, all while working very closely with the mayor's office. And, of course, we've also talked to folks from Chicago, and, you know, I know that Mayor Daley has really done a lot. You know, the, Chicago was hit so hard mm-hmm. uh, back in the early 90s when there was a heat wave going through the city that killed a lot of of uh, vulnerable, low-income folks, and the, the urban heat island effect, Chicago was under a great amount of scrutiny, and he's done a lot with the public policy setting that he's instituted to address the urban heat island effect. And so uh, you picked some some great examples there. Let's talk about transit because you have quite a bit of experience when it comes to transit. You founded the Central Maryland Transportation Alliance. Otis, as you built um, coalitions and connections with various stakeholder groups throughout that process, what role did the concept of environmental justice play in your transit planning? And, And introduce that concept of environmental justice. Some of our listeners are familiar with it and some of them are not. Sure. Well, I I was the founding uh, president of the uh, Central Maryland Transportation Alliance, and uh, the the founders, though, um, were uh, a a number of area uh, CEOs of uh, business, uh, civic groups, and uh, philanthropic organizations here in in Baltimore City um, who kind of said enough is enough. Um, Baltimore, the Baltimore, greater Baltimore metropolitan area was often losing out um, in terms of opportunity and access to uh, to um, transportation dollars because we weren't we weren't um, as organized as we should have been um, and as we looked around the country where they were able to tap into those resources um, were um, places where there was a high level of organization um, often led by the business community but a high level of organization focused in on rational and reasonable um, transportation planning um, and uh, and realistic goals in terms of what we what they wanted um, as a region, and so we began to do that. And so I was the first first president, and and you're right, a lot of it was around was around really building smart um, strategic coalitions between the faith based community, civic groups, and government, as well as as well as the business community, to show that you know this makes the most sense. Um, um, uh, for uh, for the city of Baltimore, if we have a a strong well, a strong transit system uh, that really connects our city um, and the different portions of our city in a in a smart way, that that it has you know it, it provides kind of equitable access, environmental protection, um, and and real 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 um, environmental uh, justice for for all of Baltimore. Um, and for us, what we really wanted to focus in on um, around those issues of environmental justice um, was the reality that in Baltimore, like 30%, over 30% of our population do not own cars. And so uh, if they don't own cars, they are both literally and figuratively stuck um, on their block or in their neighborhoods um, if, uh, if we do not have a strong 
uh, a strong transit system, um, which in, and to be stuck, you know, limits your opportunity, your educational opportunities, your economic development opportunities, limits your ability to, to you know, to shop for resources and goods for you and your family. Um, and so that there is a justice issue there in terms of serving all of your citizenry. Um, and so that's why we saw transit as a, a very real issue um, in, in dealing with that, that issue of justice, that if you're meeting the needs, if you're effectively trying to meet the needs of all your citizenry to have a healthy, you know, mixed income uh, uh, city, then, then you need to have a strong, a strong transit system within, within your city. Um, and so that's, what, that's for us what was part of um, what kept us going, and that's why the faith-based community was interested in it um, because they saw that as a social justice issue. The business community was interested in it and participated because they saw it as an economic development issue, being able to get people, um, workers and employees to the, to, um, to the jobs as well as potential clients to and from um, places of business. Um, and then the philanthropic um, and kind of civic groups also participated and, and was very interested because they wanted to make sure that we had the, the highest level of civic engagement because that is a, high, a strong indicator of, of, of a strong city. Well, and what you're describing, Otis, is really uh, a great template for other communities who may be struggling with transit issues. You just described some stakeholder groups that – um, a lot of environmental groups who push very hard for transit don't necessarily reach out to some of those very influential stakeholder groups like the faith-based community. They might not even consider why, and you, you lay out the perfect reason, why they would want to be interested in, in you know, seeing um, equitable access to transit. But, but oftentimes they're not even at the table. They're not even invited to the table when a community is bringing up you know, issues of transit. And I find it really interesting and, and quite original that you've incorporated some of these various groups. In fact, I, it kind of leads me to what I, I hope you'll send me via email because I saw a lot of teasers about it um, out on the Internet as I was researching you, and I want to read your master's thesis, which was uh, entitled, and it, correct me if I get this wrong, but how faith-based institutions um, can be so pivotal in the economic stability of a region. I know I botched that, but <laughs> talk to us about how you've engaged the faith-based community in some of these um, environmental and social justice issues. Well, the, um, my master's thesis at, at MIT was on the, the role of faith-based institutions in promoting and sustaining local economies. Um, and if you look in many of our inner-city um, uh, neighborhoods, uh, there, is, there, are, there are a ton of, of churches, um, mosques, temples, um, synagogues, and, um, and often, unfortunately, they are not necessarily as well-connected um, to the um, economic viability of those, of those communities. Um, they often will do a lot of work around um, uh, social services and human services, um, but people often fail to see the role that they can play um, on, on issues of of uh, economic development. And so um, during my graduate time, I looked at um, examples of um, churches and synagogues um, uh, um, and just FBIs, I call them faith-based institutions, that had saw their, that saw their role um, much more uh, comprehensive, um, viewed their role in the areas as not just a spiritual um, goal, um, but and not just a social goal in terms of the human services piece, but also the, to make sure that people ate, 
um, <laughs> uh, to, you know, kind of give them the fish and teach them how to fish and, you know, how to um, fish, you know, in the long, long term. Um, and the um, greatest model within the, the thesis was around um, Jamaica, Queens, uh, the Allen AME, which um, was able to, you know, start uh, commercial ventures, credit unions, um, and really, really increase the level of financial literacy and savings um, and smarter spending within uh, the community they serve, uh, and it had a real transformative effect of um, a, a kind of a, a somewhat depressed area being uh, being um, really uplifted through the work, the very conscious. Um, concerted effort of of a faith based institution, and sure, so and that's part, mind, body, and, and soul, and exactly. yeah, part of environmental justice is dealing with the health of the body. I'm afraid we're going to take a quick, quick break, so, but we'll be right back. We've got so much more to talk about with Otis Raleigh, folks. Don't go away because just on the other side of these commercial breaks, we're going to have more Go Green Radio. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I hope you all are having a great day. I sure am. Uh, no better way to have a great day than have an awesome conversation, and that's what we're doing right now. We're talking with Otis Raleigh. He's running for mayor of Baltimore. Uh, he's got quite the resume. I mean, this is somebody who, from a very young age, has been intimately involved with uh, planning a great City. That's what he was educated to do. He's an MIT grad. Um, he was the youngest city planner for a major urban area when he was tapped at the age of 29 to be the city planner for the city of Baltimore. Now he's running for mayor of Baltimore, and if he wins, he'll get to enact the very plans that he laid down. Um, in fact, he put together a comprehensive master plan for the city that was the very first one in the city's history to be adopted by both the Planning Commission and the City Council. And those of you who are involved in any kind of local politics know that is no easy feat. To get consensus out of those two groups in any community uh, is is a big deal, and uh, it takes a special person to do that. Well, Otis, we've been talking about this concept of sustainable communities, and I read the City of Baltimore Sustainability Report, and I loved the goal that they had set out of reducing neighborhood energy use. Um, energy conservation and energy efficiency can really make a huge difference in a city's carbon footprint. Tell us, if you're elected mayor, how do you think you might be able to influence everyday Baltimoreans to conserve energy at home? Well, the the last elected mayor um, did a a really good job of um, tying in with a number of different groups within the city of Baltimore, all of which were committed to Baltimore being a greener, uh, greener city. And um, and which helped to then produce the, the sustainability plan, um, um, which got adopted into the comprehensive master plan. And that, and the, the way as mayor, though, that you, um, you get the neighborhoods to really reduce their carbon footprint um, is to not just talk about it, but to be about it in terms of serving um, in, as an example. Um, uh, so in terms of the municipal resources, being as green as, as humanly possible in terms of how we utilize energy things, being whether it's how, how things are plugged in, how much paper we're using, um, and, and really just being a, a model to your citizenry. But then it's also being a huge advocate and cheerleader that as we're doing community, as I'm doing um, as mayor, as I'm doing community meetings, as I'm out in the neighborhoods, as I'm talking with folk, um, and working with them in different parts of the city, really just having a conversation, a very frank conversation about what they're doing uh, to reduce reduce the, the carbon footprint in their particular home, in their on their block, in their neighborhood, in their community. Um, because the, the mayor is, is is part advocate, part activist, uh, part administrator, um, and I think in all three of those roles, I, I can push an, an agenda uh, that pushes us towards being uh, being a greener and a, and a healthier city. Well, uh, no doubt. I mean, and you've articulated perfectly the role of a mayor and all the various functions, you know, that, that a mayor must fulfill to do a great job. I think, 
you know, one of the, the things that I've seen and I've been fortunate, you know, my, my Go Green Initiative nonprofit organization is operating in all 50 U.S. states and in 39 countries around the, the globe. And one of the things that seems to be so simple and yet so effective in encouraging people to conserve energy is helping them understand what's in it for them. One thing is, of course, saving money Mm -hmm. (laughs) on utility bills. Um, That's always a big incentive. You know, in any kind of economy, it's still um, always palatable when you can show folks how they can save energy. But sometimes people don't understand the, the linear relationship between how much energy is used and how much air pollution there is in a in a area, you know, whether it's a residential area or an industrial area, because so much of our, our electricity comes from fossil fuel-fired plants, which belch, you know, air pollution um, every hour that they're running. And so, you know, if Baltimore doesn't have a huge portfolio of, of green energy that you can tap into with your local utilities, and I'm sure that portfolio of green energy is expanding every year, but for the for the time being, you know, every amount of energy you conserve, you're also saving some time that a local coal-fired plant or other fossil fuel-fired plant would be, you know, producing air pollution, which is obviously in the interest of, of the health of your residents. So sometimes, um, you know, when mayors can articulate that that very universal question, what's in it for me, you know, if people do this, if people conserve energy, then they're successful in getting people to say, hmm, you know what, I really, I really ought to be doing this, and there's a positive human health benefit. Now, Otis, you and I have a mutual friend, Dave Troy. He's a great individual, and uh, he actually was telling me about you back in, in the summertime. We were uh, touring Asia with a group called Geeks on a Plane, and uh, this is a fun <laughs> group. I, I love those folks dearly. But he told me about you, and I was excited uh, to, to get to talk with you even since then, since we were talking about you over dinner in Shanghai, if you can believe that, if your wow. ears were burning in May. That's why. <laughs> um, but I know that Dave is a high-tech guy, and he'd love to see Baltimore become sort of the Silicon Valley of the Atlantic coast, bringing high-tech companies and their money to your beautiful city. A lot of people think that green tech jobs and green jobs can revitalize communities that have been hit hard by this great recession we've been living through. Do you see opportunities for green tech companies to invest in Baltimore, Otis? Most definitely. And the great thing is that there are a number of companies already here, some of them being being successful in spite of the city, um, not because of, um, uh, but I, I think that we, we definitely um, can, there are definite opportunities for, for green tech companies to, to invest and to grow um, in the city. And I hope as, as mayor to create an environment uh, that much more attractive to, to those companies. We have um, some of the, the best uh, colleges and universities. We have 11 colleges and universities in, in the city of Baltimore that um, are just um, spilling over um, in terms of innovation and ideas. Um, and there have been a number of, of tech firms here that are really doing some uh, creative things, thinking outside the box. Um, and uh, it's just a, it's there are it's a good place uh, to to invest because you have uh, access to a, a talent pool, um, because of your access to uh, to education and research institutions, our proximity to um, to, to DC, um, and uh, I just I I think um, there is an untapped potential there that we really are eager to to, to tap into, and I'm looking forward to kind of laying out that uh, that strategy during the during the campaign. 
Well, and I noticed, I was just kind of tooling around the Internet this week looking at different things about Baltimore. And One of the big companies that you have there, uh, Under Armour, which mm-hmm. I have several of their items in my home. I have kids who play sports. So Under Armour is a <laughs> big deal in our house. We love our Under Armour. But they have um, actually a green marathon that they started running there. I mean, what is it that brings a company like that uh, to Baltimore? Well, see, actually, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned Under Armour because I think the part of the success of Baltimore moving forward is going to be, um, uh, particularly if, if I'm blessed with the opportunity to be mayor, is, is going to be a shift of priorities from kind of chasing after, you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies to recognizing the, the, the stre- strength and long-term economic uh, sustainability of of small businesses and startup businesses um, to to a city's health. You know, the um, Under Armour is awesome because it started here. Um, um, now, of course, uh, uh, it has great leadership and they have a great product. Um, but the fact that they are uh, in in Baltimore, we didn't recruit them from somewhere else. You know, Kevin Plank made a conscious decision. He you know lives in Baltimore. He wanted his business to be here, um, and uh, and you know that those. By making investments in, um, in small businesses, startup businesses, um, when you have colleges like the University of Maryland and Johns Hopkins here, with um, um, both of which have some um, Morgan uh, State University as well, you, um, Morgan, you have some of these great institutions um, with brilliant people who, when they're when they're done, they're looking, you know, they have innovative ideas, they're entrepreneurs, they want to do great things. They're already here. Um, you invest in them in a way so that they can stay in place. Um, and be successful. Um, and those, the jobs that are created from um, from those businesses, uh, the majority of new jobs, particularly jobs that are long term, um, that have been created in, in this country, has been from small startup businesses. If you have a municipality like Baltimore understanding that um, and having an economic development strategy that gets that, um, then you you're going to see um, more of those uh, types of um, those types of businesses and jobs. Opening up in um, in Baltimore, and I think that's a model not just for Baltimore. Um, obviously, I'm biased. And I think it's it's the only city that matters in the universe. But <laughs> if um, but it's a strategy that can work for municipalities, through, you know, throughout the country. Is to recognize, you know, invest in your people, invest in the ideas of those individuals, um, and sure, you know, others will come because you will be attractive to to others. Um, and I think I think we can do that in a in a much more uh, much more strategic way here. I lay out some of that in the earn section of, of the citywide master plan, you know, live, earn, play, learn, um, uh, the, of focusing in on, you know, specific sectors because of their ability really to create jobs at the different tiers, both kind of high school graduate, college graduate, as well as um, graduate, postgraduate opportunities. And because then you have the, the diversity diversity of job opportunities that um, help to make sure you have a, a healthy economic cli- uh, climate for your whole city. That's right. And, you know, you've articulated what, um, you know, what Bill Gates has been talking about for so long, which is if, if we are going to remain a country of innovation, we must make sure that we educate our workforce to do that. And you've mentioned, you know, what a rich pool of talent and ready-to-go you know, workforce you have there in Baltimore with all the various education, uh, you know, higher levels of, of education that you've got there. But when we come back from this next commercial break, I want to talk about your younger students and talk about whether or not uh, your Baltimore 
K through 12 system is green and what might be coming along uh, if you become mayor for those educational institutions. We've got to take a quick break and we'll be right back, folks, with more Go Green Radio. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join host Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Back to Go Green Radio, folks. We have Otis Raleigh on the phone. He's uh, on the line. He's uh, running for mayor of Baltimore, and I'm so excited that we've been able to talk with him today. And and you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. I was going to have to pin him down about Go Green Schools because, as many of you know, the reason I'm on Go Green Radio to begin with is because of my fourth baby. I have three kids, and my fourth baby is the Go Green Initiative, the nonprofit organization that I started back in 2002 to help schools across the world go green. And so, Otis, what about those Baltimore schools? Are they green schools? Could they be greener? What's your plan if you're elected mayor? Well, they, uh, they could be greener, uh, and we're getting there. Um, Baltimore has really uh, been a vanguard as it relates to um, um, some of the 
the issues around uh, food and food choice um, and the innovation there in terms of some of our, the, um, the school system has a farm um, and trying to produce uh, better quality uh, food choices for, uh, for its, uh, its, the, the kids um, in a very real way. Um, and so, because obviously, you know, the, a positive effect on your diet is going to have a very positive effect on your ability to learn um, and to think and to, to be comfortable while you're in school. Um, and so, uh, in, no, in that regard, we're there. There is not um, a substantial amount of um, environmental kind of green um, education, um, educational issues kind of built into the curriculum, and I think some of that uh, can uh, can be changed um, because you know the way that the, the children go, the parents will go, and the grandparents and the guardians. Um, and so, the more that we can do to put um, the right information in their hands, not just kind of on Earth Day type of thing, but the right um, information in their hands about what it means to drop um, drop trash and what it means about in terms of water quality when you pour X, Y, and Z down down the gutter. Um, 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 and all those things, I think, and, and the focusing in on our base, or, you know, just close to home, um, I think can, can have a huge effect. And so I want the, I think the cities can, the city schools could become greener. And, um, but I think the most, um, and, and part of doing that, um, is to kind of have continued, uh, investment in, um, in the overall kind of academic success of, of, of the kids. Absolutely. I think that's a solid way to look at it. You know, uh, speaking of kids and and families, I I like your approach of bringing families into the discussion. Sometimes um, parents aren't always involved in environmental education uh, programs, but they are in the Go Green Initiative. So check us out at gogreeninitiative.org. That's my own little plug there. But, um, (laughs) you know, I watched a YouTube video of you, uh, and you were speaking on a local Baltimore radio station, and you made it very clear that you're a family man and a man of faith, I really like that. Um, do you think that being a dad and a Christian has given you a deeper sense of responsibility to preserve the environment and natural resources than you might have had otherwise? Well, I mean, my, my faith has a, plays, does play a huge role um, in, in the way I think and how I interact. Um, um, you know, my, as, as a Christian, you know, I, I, I follow the teachings of, of Jesus Christ, um, and um, uh, and it's just I think a lot of uh, I'm um, a lot of people kind of misunderstand um, or or misinterpret um, um, what the Bible says on on a lot of issues as it relates to the earth, but. Um, anyone who's literate, um, I think, can, can uh, read uh, in it. You know that we are to be good stewards. You know that these are that um, that you know this is God's creation, um, and we have been kind of charged with uh, with being good stewards, and that's being you know being responsible um, in how we how we protect it um, and how we protect its resources. Um, and so, yeah, that that does it does play um, a play a role for me. And then also, just as a as a father, I have I have three beautiful children. Um, and you know, and I want them to to be healthy um, and to have a planet. Um, you know, when I'm no longer here, um, and so that it does 
uh, an obligation, to, you know, to to my God and to my faith, an obligation to to my family, um, does very much motivate me in terms of pushing uh, to towards doing the right thing. Um, and and, all, and sometimes that is not that's not going to be necessarily politically smart um, um, or economically cheap um, to to do, um, but it is it is morally right. I feel um, from a social issue, from a justice issue, and and as I said, for me, from a family and faith issue. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, from my own personal background, I, I agree with you. I mean, for those who believe that we're living on God's creation, point is, he didn't create it just for our generation. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's supposed to be sort of a family heirloom passed along. So I, I agree with you there. You know, switching gears for just a second, I know that a lot of our listeners are urban planners as well, and they're out there listening. And some of them are very frustrated, Otis. They want to do big things, and they're hitting political obstacles. And so as we, you know, in the last, you know, three minutes or so that we have of the show, what parting words of inspiration can you offer to other urban planners who are out there who are anxious to create a nation's worth of sustainable communities? What do you say to them? Well, first and foremost, don't give up. Um, uh, be, true, be true to your calling um, and, and, uh, and don't give up. And I think the reality is that you've been, those of you who are planners, even those who, um, who just have friends who are planners, the, the reality is that you, know, you had a very comprehensive and, and holistic view of, of how to develop and maintain um, cities. Um, and so you understand the social component, you understand the physical component, you understand the, the people in a very real way. And, and so don't give up based on the politics. You know, I lost plenty of battles as the director of planning um, when I was, you know, fighting to do what was in the best interest um, of the of the people, um, but you know, um, but I I was able to sleep at night because I knew I always was recommending what was um, what was in the the best um, the best interest of the people of Baltimore from a perspective that was not uh, just looking at the dollars or just looking at a temporary fix. Um, and planners, as planners, we can do that, and we should continue to do that, and keep learning. Look at what other cities are doing. You know, don't feel like you're the only one um, who's thinking a certain way. Um, and be creative. Um, I was able to push certain things as it relates to historic preservation because I was able to frame it to, to the political establishment and the business establishment that this was about economic development. And so, you know, you, so there are tons of things that you can do if you're willing to, to think outside the box. But don't give up. Be true to, to your calling. Um, don't let the politics um, um, of, of the day or the hour discourage you. Um, and, and when you get a chance, enter into um, elected office as well, because it's great to do plans and it's great to implement those plans, but if you're in a position to really fund and implement um, and make the final decision, to do that from a point of the best, um, best possible information um, and the best possible training um, around cities and cities maintenance and cities planning, um, that, kind of, that opportunity is one that you should go for. And so oh, if there are any planners out there, please... So please go to www.otisroley.com and support me. <laughs> That's right. I want to get that in there before we go. Thank you for being our guest, Otis. Good luck in your campaign. Folks, check out his website at otisroley.com. Check it out. Follow that campaign. And we'll be back here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio.
Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.